This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Hello, Toronto. It's Saturday. It's five o'clock. I'm feeling a bit hungry. I'm Andre Pru. How are you doing today, Maroki? I'm always hungry, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were just telling me this really great story about a restaurant that you were checking out in the distillery. Yeah, so the distillery is celebrating their 20th anniversary and they're just opening up for their patio season. And every time I go to the distillery, I'm always like, why don't I spend more time in the distillery? Like, yeah. I just love, I know, you know, some people think it's like a tour, you know, like a tourist trapper destination. But honestly, it's just such a beautiful place to walk around, feel the vibes, nosh on food. I'm totally that person that have like fought the crowds for many years to go to the Christmas market. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that. Yeah. Like 11 months out of the year, I am team distillery district. I don't like the crowds. I think the Christmas market is a little overrated. I don't like paying and waiting in lineups, but... I mean, the things that the distillery district has that like Liberty Village doesn't accessible by transit. I think Mm -hmm. that is like the number one thing where like you're not trapped going in and out of. It is too bad it's not quite go train accessible if you're from out of town. But I think that kind of keeps it like a really Torontonian secret, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when you're in there too, you feel like you're being, you're removed from the hustle and bustle of the city a little bit. You're walking into a little piece of history. And if you've only ever gone there during the Christmas market, like I encourage people to go on other times of the year because that's still, like there is a stillness there. You get a chance to really appreciate all the installations. And so they started, they have their 20th anniversary. They start their patio season where they're bringing in a lot of, entertainment um you know they're bringing on a stage with musicians and i got a chance to just enjoy the madrina patio which they are a spanish tapas bar yeah um and oh like first of all patio season (laughs) i know you know what i I know like the calendar says summer doesn't start till june 20th but for me summer definitely starts like that may two four long weekend that we just had that is the start of summer yeah and i just it was just so lovely. They have a patio-specific menu and patio-specific cocktails. I got a chance to partake in those tapas, and I, I just think um, Chef Ramon just does incredible work with their tapas. All right, all right. Putting, yes. you, putting you on the spot. Putting you on the spot. All right. Best dish, best cocktail. Best, best dish, best cocktail. So best dish was this chicken lettuce wrap. Which was so underrated because when they said it was like chicken lettuce, I was like, ah, like okay, the lettuce wrap. Like, what about these? You know, this beautiful foam potato thing and all these great innovative dishes. When I ate that, it blew my freaking mind. Um, one of the things I said to the staff when I was there was just their use of salt is immaculate, absolutely right immaculate. And the chicken was so tender. Very, very impressed by that. Best cocktail. Oh, I don't know. Um, it's not on their patio menu, but they do a Rojo Mary, which is sort of like the Spanish version of a Bloody Mary or Caesar. Yeah, that's a cool name. Yeah, it's like salty, savory, delicious. Right on. Yes. Yes. Well, I guess yes. I guess doing like a quick a quick side back, and I know another thing you recently ate was my delicious gravy. Yes, your delicious gravy with your delicious smoked turkey, as promised. So we weren't we weren't <laughs> we weren't making stuff up, guys. When we said we were gonna enjoy some smoked turkey, and Andre was gonna feed me his recipe at last, it happened. I know, but I mean, my favorite thing is like I love. I don't get sick of getting compliments about my gravy, but <laughs> uh, you know about the secret ingredient, in my gravy, right? No, you're going to have to tell me. That's why you said secret ingredient. You wouldn't tell me last time. So I guess this is the perfect opportunity for you to not only tell me your secret, but everyone in the GTA and beyond. Okay, the secret to making really great gravy is a little bit of MSG at the finish. Ooh, I dig that. I'm here for that. 
And I, I thought this was a good, because we talked about last week, the whole concept of noodles and the labeling of noodles and whether or not that might be a little bit systemically racist in terms of how North Americans approach that. But one thing that is definitely systemically racist is how North Americans in general talk about MSG. I know. And it's it's interesting because in a way it even permeated a lot of Chinese immigrants or Chinese Canadian oh, yeah. children. Like I remember growing up, my you know, my family going to the restaurant and saying, Oh, you know, they would definitely see that, you know, the sign that says no MSG or MSG, and they're like, yeah. Oh, this place is better. And the interesting about MSG is that inherently the whole notion that it is bad for you is false. Yep. It, it, it came out of a whole myth. It came out of a, of a prank, yep. actually, right? And this is something that I I only learned fairly recently myself. Like, I think I already knew scientifically that MSG is not inherently any worse for you than, let's say, adding salt. salt. I mean, that's it. I, I think it's one thing we need to like make very clear before we get into all of this. Mm. MSG is a salt. Mm. It is not good for you, but it's also not worse for you than regular salt msg like monosodium sodium is a salt like it's right in the name mm -hmm. it is no worse for you than using regular salt mm -hmm. and you know there's there's research out there that's you know digging into it a little bit further now to try and examine it to a greater extent and that's not to say that there aren't necessarily people with intolerance to certain things totally. similar to how i have an intolerance to lactose per se totally. but but the fact that it's just kind of globally terrible for everyone yes came out of a myth so i'll tell everyone about the prank so what had happened was that um many years ago someone was publishing something in the new english uh the new england journal of medicine and what had happened was that someone like basically was trying to get the attention of people and they thought okay well if i do this if i if i write this article this kind of fake article about how there's ailments or chinese restaurant syndrome that's what they, they that's what they called it i'm gonna put it under the name you know with like uh you know put this article and and basically sign it off as this asian person robert ho man kwok saying i'm a senior research investigator and then it got picked up yeah it got picked up it was published everyone believed in it and the writer actually tried to repeal it and couldn't and it yep. just spiraled out of control from there and what, Q, what year was this it was in it must have been goodness. like the 60s or 70s it was eh? in the 60s or 70s it was at a time when uh, probably you couldn't um i guess say vet <laughs> some of that knowledge yeah as much i think what i'm reading here i'm looking it up very quickly um it is it was april 4th 1968 there we go i mean that that definitely tracks like you're dealing with like post-war you're dealing with and i guess this is the thing too where we're dealing with with a fair bit of ignorance and what would have been an extremely white north america at the culture uh, north american culture at the time you would have been heading into uh vietnam war so i'm guessing anti-asian sentiment at the time likely would have been higher regardless of where in asia you were mm -hmm. from um it was a $10 bet. Wow. The, the, the fellow surgeon bet this fellow, um, Steele, I'm not finding his first name, but they bet him about how he couldn't get published into a prestigious journal. Oh, my God. Bet him 10 bucks that he couldn't do it. So then he literally wrote this notorious letter, letter uh, signed it, and then sent it and did a whole like play on words, thought it was funny, and someone took it off and ran with it. You know, the worst part about this is, so I, I know... 
really well-known chefs like David Chang have become champions of MSG. And I think when you're dealing with great chefs, you're not talking about using MSG willy-nilly. Well, MSG is an ingredient, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. But like for me, I actually feel really lucky that I had my turning point a lot sooner. Let's let's flash back to about 2005. A young Andre Pru at the University of Regina making friends with a young Vietnamese f- fellow named Mike Nguyen, whose parents run one of the better Vietnamese restaurants in Regina. And him taking me to his parents' restaurant for food and we talked about how the food was made and this sticks with me and whenever i tell anyone this they laugh he says um msg stands for make so great <laughs> and and i mean it's something that really sort of stuck with me because like then i started when like that stuck with me at the time but i didn't have the courage to go buy msg and start cooking with it i will give credit to david chang for when he started to publish his recipes the momofuku the lucky peach magazine the recipes come out it's when I went to Chinatown in Toronto, bought some MSG and started cooking with it. And it does make a difference. And it's just like, if you're someone who thinks everything Maroki and I are saying right now is nonsense, go grab a bag of Ruffles chips and uh, read like the fifth or sixth ingredient. You probably will be surprised, but hearing the segment, you won't be. MSG is in virtually like everything delicious that we eat. Yeah. And maybe if not MSG per se, if you look at the ingredients of a lot of those processed foods, there are a lot of unfamiliar ingredients and a lot of chemical compounds that do enhance flavor. Yes. And we don't question it to the same extent as we do MSG, but I'm sure it is no better or worse than MSG itself. I think that is as good a place as any to end this. I'm sure we'll talk about MSG in the future (laughs) because I love cooking with it so much. I'm glad that you love my gravy as much as you did. Coming up after the break, we're going to, I guess, go on the opposite side of this. We're going to talk about using glorious salt and MSG to make food delicious to eating just plants. So stick around. We're going to be right back after this break on 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Andre Pru, I know I said I was super, super hungry at the top of the segment, <laughs> but that doesn't always mean I'm going to stuff my face with steak and potatoes. No, I mean, that's something we talk about a lot on the show where I think it's my favorite thing about 2023. And it was actually like I reflected on it quite a bit when we did the whole dry January thing and tasting where non-alcoholic wines are at this point is it feels like where vegan cuisine was like 20 years ago. And it's exciting in 2023 to know that even if you do enjoy that piece of steak if you're looking for a change you can walk into a vegan restaurant and still leave the place satisfied it's it's just not cool to make fun of vegans in 2023 unless you're like your really annoying vegan friend you can still make fun of them (laughs) but like in general like the, the the vegan movement i say that in air quotes is like It's a part of the fabric of eating out in Toronto now. Absolutely. And I think it's just, even if you are an omnivore, and I'm, you know, I think you and I are both very much omnivores, sometimes we just want something a little bit different. And, you know, when you go to spaces like La Bartola, a Mexican restaurant on College Street, they're vegan cuisine. Like, it's vegan. It's plant-based. You wouldn't even know. It freaking blows your mind. Like, I dream about that mole. In fact, I need to get back. I think they got a, a Michelin recommendation. I know your thoughts on Michelin, Andre. But, oh, that's fine. But it's still hard to get in the guide. It, it's nice. It's like, it's cool that they managed to get recommended. Their, their food is just absolutely incredible. And you're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to a place because it's vegan or not vegan. And you're just going to a, a delicious restaurant. But... Switching gears, this uh, you know we're we're praising vegan cuisines. I know there was a spot that just opened up um, called Il Vegano, and I've been <laughs> hearing some rumblings in my spheres where they're very 
unhappy with the name because they think it does a disservice to Italian culture by just kind of like adding an uh, O and and like yeah il vegano right like just saying we do vegan Italian cuisine but look at this like I don't know weirdly cultural parody of a name I guess yeah I I can kind of get behind that I mean it's the sort of thing like growing up French Canadian and being someone who speaks French like to see someone say le or la in front of something or like I like going to the States once in a while to shop at Target and to take Target and turn it <laughs> into like a French, you know, a franchisation of it. It's just like, I, I think it's, it's just, you know, being a, a white guy that speaks one of our official languages, my skin might be a little thicker in terms of not making and in terms in terms of being able to be made fun of. But also like, I think I, I just have more questions about just like how lazy can you be in your branding and marketing as well to just hit someone over the head to be like hey vegan cuisine right here it's right in the name it's italian you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sometimes in some ways it would make me question the quality, the quality of the cuisine yeah, 100%. Like, it's like are you are you just leveraging the fact that you're doing vegan and plant-based cuisine for your business or are you actually making quality cuisine hundred percent. And I mean, the other thing too, we were talking a little bit off the microphone about this too, is a lot of that really great Italian cuisine is inherently vegan in the first place. Uh, a lot of Italian cuisine really, when you're talking about authentic, like from the boot of Italy, not North American Italian cuisine, it's just, it's, it's olive oil, tomatoes, basil, garlic, and onions in different ratios. That's vegan. That's vegan cooking right there. You throw that mm-hmm. on pasta, you've got a vegan sauce. Like, do you really need to hit someone over the head to remind them that Italian cuisine is vegan? Or is it just it's cool to be vegan? Or are you trying to like exclude other people from it? I just I don't understand it. I don't really understand it either. And the restaurant's new enough that I'd be curious to see how it performs in the next little while and I don't know, maybe venture it in myself. I'd be curious to know if the ownership is Italian as well. Like there's a lot of that information isn't quite out there yet. There's a part of me that's, uh, there's a part of me that wonders, like thinks not. Now it's an assumption. It's a hypothesis. And I guess it just reminds me of, you know, you talked a little bit about having a thick skin, but Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that we learn to have thick skins, does that make it okay, right? One of the things we talked a lot about over this month for Asian Heritage Month is with Anhui and with you know other fellow chefs is there's you know in the chinese canadian diaspora and chinese canadian restaurants there's a lot of people who kind of leverage that like really stereotype type like chopsticky writing gotcha right and you you make up names that's called like the great wall or jade whatever and is that okay right it's like just because we all have thick skins and we're all leveraging it is it okay it reminds me of there was a time i'm tangenting a little bit and give no, me 20 going. seconds here i remember when i was in shanghai and taking um uber around a lot of the drivers you know they catered to tourists because uber's actually out um, was banned in china and they they basically use secret vpns to to do it because it is a source of income interesting for these for for these people okay but they so they cater almost exclusively to tourists and these guys have named themselves like coca-cola or Pepsi. I gotcha. Simply to make it easier for a tourist to say their name because they can't be bothered kind of dealing with like someone saying, well, I don't recognize your name. It's Jumbly. So they're just like, oh, just call me Coke. And they're kind of making a joke out of it. And people, you know, it gets the tourists all happy and you pay them. But it's ta- making like taking a laugh 
out of someone at their expense and demeaning them and who they are as a human being okay just because you benefit from it or you profit from it? I, I think uh, everything you just said there makes a lot of sense because when we're talking about going to Target, the intent is to be complimentary. Like, yeah, it's a bit of a joke, but we're talking about Target being French because it's better than Walmart, right? Mm. Like, it's complimentary to take that out of context where doing Il Vigano, what we might be doing is just a lazy jab at Italians, North American Italians, and, you know, I guess fundamentally Italian Italians as well. Mm -hmm. I uh, guess, yeah, I guess it calls back to, again, like when we were talking about fusion cuisine last week too, right? It's like, yeah. are you actually mindfully incorporating different elements of a culture together or are you just squishing like gochujang into between two slices of bread and calling it fusion? Yeah, I, I guess it comes down to it. Like it, in, intent is really important. It might be worth doing a bit more digging on the owners of Il Vigano and like what's actually going on there. But I mean, lazy branding aside, this this conversation has gotten a little heavier than I thought it was. I thought it was <laughs> going to, but I think these are important questions to be important questions to be had. Mm -hmm. And you know, just to add more heaviness <laughs> onto the conversation, I know another thing that's been you know when I was thinking about restaurants like Ilvigano that are opening up and the restaurants, the whole restaurant industry in general, and the ones that mm -hmm. have been sticking around, it is. You know, even though the everything is opening back up and in my idealistic mind, I was thinking, okay, I'm really hoping that hospitality gets a chance to bounce back. I've been hearing some really shocking numbers from a lot of restaurants saying that they're that restaurant attendances are still like down 30 to even 40 percent all around Toronto, which is a staggering number. I've noticed it too, talking to my friends who are running the wineries in Niagara, that sales are slow and difficult um, and I think, you know, we're seeing in the news inflation numbers, blah, 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 inflation numbers, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, you know, I guess when you're a professor sitting in a university crunching numbers or an economist working for CIBC or Royal Bank, you're taking an aggregate of the economy as a whole. But we're starting to see people pulling back. And mm -hmm. um, if you're sitting in your car right now and you're listening to this and there's a restaurant you haven't been to in a while... I encourage you to pick up that phone, make a reservation and check them out because they will really appreciate your business. Absolutely. Especially now that we're coming out of the winter season, I am reminded very, I've been reminded year over year just how hard winter is for everyone. You yeah. know, I think a lot of us talk about kind of sitting at home and being in the dark. It's also a very dark time usually for restaurants, you know, reservations. Well, it's are crazy how low. quickly we snap back, like as we were kind of getting out of the pandemic, because I remember those first two years, just that like thirst to have social activity i remember sitting in a, in a on a patio in a december and it's just like after that first year of the pandemic that did not become a permanent part of our culture that's for sure <laughs> guess we're not as canadian as, as we, we thought, thought yeah <laughs> i'm just saying if, if there's someone you really love in the late neighborhood as well like if there's people you care about like there's a restaurant you love dining at this you know there's an opportunity to show support in so many different ways and sometimes it's even like leaving a really great google review for them i don't think i could have said that better myself uh, coming up after the break, we've talked about coming out of the winter season. A great way to kick off summer, even though it's technically spring, is to <laughs> spring into spice where we will be joined by organizer Beverly Crandon. So stick around. We will be right back after this break on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Maroki, we talked at the top of the show about how 
Summer is officially here now that the May 2-4 has passed. As but long as I can put the sun on my skin, it is almost summertime. I am completely in agreement with you. While we're actually joined in studio by the organizer of an event that even though it feels like summer, it's still technically spring. What are you doing next Saturday, Maroki? What am I doing next Saturday? I guess I'm heading to Spring into Spice so I could hang out with Beverly Crandon and stuff my face full of food and drink all the wine pairings involved. So like you said, joining us in studio, Beverly Crandon, thanks for joining us. Oh, God, thank you for having me. Super yeah. excited for Spring into Spice. I am too. I went into fall into spice. I guess full disclosure to the audience, my wine company, the ADX Wine Company, are one of the people who are pouring wines at the event. Um, I think last fall when you were checking in on the booth, I don't think you ever walked by where I didn't have food in my hand. I know. <laughs> it's true. Well, this is the beauty of Spring into Spice. There are so many authentic cuisines being represented that even if you're there and you're exhibiting yourself, like you would be forlorn not to walk around and try all of the wonderful food and the great wines that we have there. Mm -hmm. um, we've got people this year. We've got a lovely chef from Palestine. Oh, wow. A wonderful chef from Eritrea, one from Ghana, Haiti, Bukan is back, Guyana, Jamaica, um, Mexico, Bolivia, and Peru. Like it's just like the food array that you're going to have is going to be tr just tremendous. I think this is good to like, this is a really uh, good time for you to tell everyone too where it's going to be this year because I know it's going to be like so much bigger this year. Absolutely. And better than ever. You know, as uh, a festival promoter, one of the good things is when you're like, listen, we can't have it at the same spot as last year. Last year was too small. So this year we're at the Stanley Barracks Gardens right on the Hotel X grounds outside. Wonderful green space faces the lake. It's going to be absolutely picturesque. And, you know, for me, you know, when you go to a festival, you want of course, obviously the core elements, which is our food and wine, but also line up a tremendous DJ crew. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Um, you know, for those of you who are into like house music, you'll understand that we've got like Dave Campbell, Jason Palma, and then it's hosted by Jean-Paul, comedian Jean-Paul. So it's going to be absolutely amazing. Entertainment, food, wine, all of that. I love the um, the venue that you're at specifically just because it's so accessible, like right outside the exhibition go station, right outside the exhibition loop on the streetcar there. So really easy to get to, really easy to get from and important about res responsible consumption because a big Absolutely. part of your event is the wines. And I know that that's a big part of like why you've put this together and what you're, the message you're getting out is about putting wine together with food that people wouldn't normally think about putting together with wine. Absolutely. And that that's you've mentioned two really good points that I want to touch on. So one is, yes, this event is so that we can have all of our denizens of Ontario come out and try food and wine pairings that normally are not spoken about because the cuisines are things underrepresented when it comes to the world of wine. Um, and I think from that, when you try a different cuisine and you try some wine with it, you start to build some conversations and questions around why haven't I done this before? And that it's healthy, healthy conversation to kind of to get you talking about like the differences between one another or also the similarities between all of us, our denizens here in uh, Ontario. The second thing I want to touch on is we've actually, because of responsible consumption, and this is the first time I'm announcing this, we've struck a deal with Metrolinx. Oh. So oh. if you are a Presto card holder, 
you can use if you go on to the Presto Perk site that you have access to, you'll find a coupon code that you can use to get your tickets for Spring into Spice. So it's all kind of intertwined. So I want people who are doing safe uh, travel out down to the festival to also get a discount for the tickets to the festival. Okay, that is so freaking cool. And as yeah. someone who normally drives around Toronto at this, like, you know, at this, at this stage of my life, I absolutely would take advantage of that. And I wish, that, I hope Metrolinx does more partnerships like this down the yeah. line because I think this is just such an amazing opportunity for people to navigate the city, go somewhere, enjoy a day without any sort of worry for getting home at the end of the day. Um, so I want to roll it all the way back. And I know we had conversations about this before, and, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, the opportunity to pair wine with cuisine that people may not necessarily think about pairing with. Um, and it's called Spring to Spice. So obviously the key word in all of it is spice. So I think this is a really good opportunity. It's not for- spring? <laughs> Andre. <laughs> Why are you messing with me on air like this, Andre? It could be spring. Spring because of the season. Spring because we're jaunting into spice, okay? All of it at once. All right, spice, spice. I took you, I threw you <laughs> off there. We were talking about spice. Yes. So I want, I, I would love for you to sort of share, I guess, like what drove you to create an event of the scale, the size. I know it's mm-hmm. like, you know, as someone who used to be a producer, it's no hard feat. No easy, <laughs> no hard feat. It's no easy feat. <laughs> <laughs> to put on something of the scale. And I want to kind of hear your inspiration and story behind the creation of fr- Spring in the Spice and, of course, your fall event, Fall in the Spice, as well. Yeah. You know, um, so I am a certified sommelier through the Court of Masters. And going through that process, the educational process, there were often times where I would try to relay a tasting note that I would be told that that's not right. Mm. But it is it is right. So if something was cooked or stewed, and I'm using words from the grid, um, and baking spices were in there, it is okay to say this reminds me of black cake. Because that's exactly what black cake smells like. So I'm not wrong. I'm absolutely right. But I was told things like, well, you can't say that on the test because your proctor would fail you for doing something like that. And at the moment when I was told these things, as I'd be in class with other people, I'd feel slightly embarrassed and I was like, if I, if I feel this way, what about just our regular denizens who aren't as educated? People who like, would like to drink wine but think it's not for them and not for their cuisines. And so I felt the, the easiest way for us to spread the word about how, like it's just pairing molecules with molecules, flavor compounds with flavor compounds, structure with structure, stru- texture with texture. It's not about a cuisine type or an ethnic type. It's just food. That's all it is. And the fastest way to spread that message widely enough was to do something like spring into spice so even though yes it is no easy feat my heart this sounds so ridiculous but my heart is truly full like when i see people walking around and grabbing an ontario riesling and having it with like some haitian food over there or or grabbing um prince edward county pinot noir and having it with flavors of guyana polori like when i see them do these pairings and they've never done them before my heart is full because that is the message. I want people to leave Spring into Spice with new stories and new experiences. It, you know, it was something that as a vendor last fall that I really, really enjoyed is like when we go to market to try to sell these wines, we kind of have a list and, you know, we're hitting up a lot of the usual suspects. But to have conversations with chefs who maybe hadn't experienced wine with their food as well, but feeling that excitement, like to have these chefs 
you know, who are for the large part, not your white tablecloth chefs, like our mom and pop shops, but be really excited to taste the wine. You feel that at the festival and like, it's really just kind of cool to see this like non-traditional change in the wine industry. Cause like, I know Maroki, you and I have talked about it on the show, maybe not a whole lot, but just about how traditional, I know we haven't used the word gatekeeping before, but just how the wine industry really is kind of designed to be tradition with a capital T and it's about time it changes. Absolutely. And I've heard stories like yours, Beverly, from other Psalms, um, you know, from different cultures experiencing similar sort of senses of embarrassment or being criticized for the notes that they bring to the table when it comes to tasting notes or how it pairs because their experience is not sort of confined within what, you know, their, what is on the papers of education. And uh, it's so great that we're talking about this event today since yeah. I literally just came off the back end of my wine pairing dinner where I'm talking about pairing Asian, um, kind of the whole, the, the very big mosaic of Asian cuisine with wine and also trying to challenge people's taste, taste buds and challenge their perceptions of what pairing wine and cuisine could look like. Absolutely. All right, so how can people visit Spring into Spice? We know where it is, yeah. what do tickets cost, and where can people get them? So if you go to springintospice.com, very simple, <laughs> you can get access to the tickets. Um, we've got an array of ticket types that you can get, but they're $20 right now for general entry, and we do have VIP offerings, and VIP is going to be like a killer experience. We've got a lot of things happening over there in terms of like food and wine pairing tastings, a, a spice challenge, like really neat things, things happening in VIP. And we also have seminars. So if you want to get geeky for the day, we've got three lovely seminars that are also happening. You can find all of that on Spring in the Spice. Sounds great. Sounds great. I think I'm getting the VIP experience. Me too. You always got to go all the way. <laughs> all the way. All the way. Or why do it at all? All right. Coming up after the break, we're going to do something different with uh, our friend Danny Longo, where we've lined up a couple of older wines, and they're older white wines. And we're going to see what Danny has to think about them. Mm-hmm. This is the first time, everyone, that we, that myself, Andre, and Danny are going to sit in studio together, which means we can all pour and sip together. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back on 640 Toronto. You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'm extremely excited for this time of the show, Andre Prue, because <laughs> we have Danny Longo in studio with us today. Yes, yes it's great to be with you guys. And uh, the show's called Tasting Together. And even though you and I, like, <laughs> Monday to Friday when we're planning the show, we're often tasting together. It's not often we get to taste together with uh, our friend Danny Longo. Yeah, this is great. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy to be here. I, I feel like, Andre, you and I were angsting together um, to the point where we were bringing on third-party experts to provide opinions on exactly what we were going to taste together on because we were like, oh, my God, where do we even start? I know. I mean, it's a thing, too, where, like, un- unashamedly, like, I've, I've definitely worn the snob hat out of the three of us in the largest iteration. You've been wearing the snob hat the past few weeks a little bit, Maroki, but it was just, like, I had to resist the urge to, like, go full snob on this, but I think we accidentally went full snob, but we're going to try to do it in a fun way where we've got a couple of older wines actually we have, we have two really it's what we would call really old wines for white wines and one kind of old white wine because white wines aren't something that most people age when you think about that wine that you're buying for your child that was just born if you're looking for a special bottle to buy them for when they turn 19 it's not normally a white wine 
Yeah, it's true. Danny, like when you like, do you have a cellar like your aging wines? I think I may have asked you this question before, but for our listeners. Yeah, no, I we have bottles in our basement that are in boxes that we're storing. But then we have our wine rack, which is on our main floor, which really should be in the basement as far as temperature and things like that. But the ones that are in our rack, we generally don't touch. And the mm. ones that are in my basement are the ones that I go to and I search for what I want to drink. Okay. And then out of that, out of that, like, uh, I guess the rack, do you find that you have a higher proportion of reds or whites? It's almost 50, 50. We have, we have, yeah, we have, we have, I think it's exactly nine rows or 10 and we have three rows of red, three rows of white. And I think three rows of ice wine because I really, we really like ice wine. You know, Ice wine is one of those things we don't talk about it a lot on the show, but if you're looking for the wine from Ontario to Mm -hmm. age without fail and you don't have a great cellar, like ice wine is basically inert. Don't get me wrong. The flavor is going to change over time with it. But if you want to hold a bottle of ice wine for 20, 30 years, you can. It's going to taste a hell of a lot different than when you first bought it, but it is a good bet for buying a wine that will age. Absolutely. So that's definitely the one you can buy when your baby is born and hold it inevitably for a long period of time. I plan on doing that for baby Spencer. I was about to ask whether you did for baby Spencer. So speaking about the wines we're tasting today, we ended up deciding to land on one variety to taste, Chardonnay, because (laughs) (laughs) Um, for those of you who haven't heard to date, Andre is also nicknamed Captain Chardonnay because of his infinite love for the stuff. (laughs) Uh, so my cellar, I have a wine cellar that's about 500 bottles deep Jeez. and it's 60% Chardonnay. That is not normal. But I'm starting to learn the hard way that Chardonnay is not as ageable as you thought. I did um, a tasting last year with, uh, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Christine Campbell. If you want to Google her, she is a BC based wine writer who loves Chardonnay almost as much as I do. She would say that she loves it more than me. She's wrong. But um <laughs> I wanted to show off, so I brought a bunch of Ontario wine from my cellar that wasn't that old, and a lot of it didn't show super well. Granted, it's a lot of like bargain bottle stuff I spent 20 to $25 on. And I know for most people in the car, that sounds like a lot of money, but the thing is, 20 to $25 really is a point where, yeah, you get some really great craft wines, but it's a crapshoot as to whether or not they will actually age a really long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since we can, t- well, since we're talking about, you know, whether you want a cellar or a bottle or not, and Andre, you and I do a monthly Instagram live as well called Cellar It, where we actually talk about trying to start a cellar on a budget. The plus side is if something goes wrong, you're not out 50, 60, 100 dollars. Totally. Right? So that's You're one. just embarrassed when you're trying to show off <laughs> for your friend, anyways. <laughs> but so- I, I think it's, it's good. It's, it's worth it to note that, you know, when you buy a bottle and that, Twenty thirty dollar uh, dollar range that you may there's going to be things in there like the cork or how it was made that they're not necessarily thinking you're going to keep it for a long period of time. So, but you, we were talking about Ontario wines and that we are leaning towards Ontario Chardonnay because we got to show some love mm-hmm. to our province, of course. But we did bring a cup one one other wine from another region too, right, Andre? Just for a comparison. Yeah. So, so the one that's in our glass right now was actually gifted to us by our last guest, Beverly Crandon, um, who's a sommelier as well and knows about my love of Chardonnay. So she brought us a bottle of the Godspeed Chardonnay from the Napa Valley. Excellent. Uh, the producer's known for holding his bottles back, maintaining a little bit higher acid. The thing I love about what's happening to California Chardonnay in general is it's been a movement over the past like 15 years of people pulling back on oak, pulling back on malolactic fermentation, holding on to acidity. So if you're someone where you hate Chardonnay or you think you hate Chardonnay because you didn't want to drink that bottle that tasted like popcorn back in the 90s or early 2000s, now is the time to revisit Californian Chardonnay because even the icon producers are starting to change their winemaking. And as someone who lives for cool climate Chardonnay, but also loves warm climate Chardonnay, I'm excited to see what's happening there. 
How does this taste to you, Danny? I think it tastes really good. You said it was unoaked. Like no, no, this is oaked. This is, is oaked. oaked. There's oh, definitely oak on this. Well, I mean, most Chardonnays are usually uh, stored in oak barrels. Uh, I guess that's uh, is, if that's the right terminology. But uh, yeah, I, I found uh, the one I had earlier. Okay, let's try this one. What do we have here? This is a Chardonnay from 2014 in Ontario, and this is one where. I pulled the bottle out hoping that it would impress. I did bring a backup bottle in case it's not good. But, but first of all, let's talk about the 2013 from Napa Valley. So this doesn't taste like fresh Chardonnay. It's got a little bit of like cream corn. Really good. Um, the nose smells like sponge toffee. It's so nutty as well. And I don't like old red wines. We've talked about that on our monthly Instagram, but I love this old Chardonnay from the Napa Valley. I love the nuttiness that emerges out of white wines. I remember um, looking at when we were getting really geeky about this. You're going to get some geek stuff from us, folks. But <laughs> yeah. Um, White wines, it go through a, a process called autolysis where um, when the molecules transform, it, em it kind of em emits that nutty flavor as it oxidizes over time. And that's what I was tasting out of that 2013, which is so beautiful. And I just took a sip of this 2014. And interesting, one year's passed. And this may be because even if this is cool climate Napa, inherently Napa is going to be warmer than Ontario. And I can taste the increase of acidity in this right away on mm -hmm. this 2014. This this is the difference between warm climate and cool climate. Because even in California, if you're doing cool climate informed winemaking, it's still hot. It's still hot. It's still hot there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, tasting this, I can immediately taste that difference. Um, I don't know how 2014 was, was as a vintage, but it was it was good. It was a short it was a short vintage because we had a cool winter that did a lot of damage to the, the crops. It wasn't an outstanding summer, but it wasn't a bad summer. It wasn't like 2019 or 2021. It tastes ripe. The fruit tastes ripe to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that the line that ties the two wines together is like if you close your eyes and smell them, they both have like a creamed corn note, which is like it's not unusual to get in in Chardonnay, but it is kind of unusual to get from Ontario. Like only exceptional or weird years I find you get cream corn in Ontario. You're not getting cream corn. I see the look on your face, Maroki. It's not. I'm just thinking the nose is very subtle on this one in general. Like yeah. everything is, it, it's very subtle. It's, it's bright on the palate, but on the nose, it's quite subtle. And for me, given that it's only a year older than the Napa, it doesn't taste that much older. Like it doesn't taste super aged to me. I think this wine was premature. I think I could have held this a little longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I this It tastes like, tastes like it was just bottled. This is from a tiny winery called 16 Mile okay. that I guarantee you most people sitting in the car haven't heard of. I believe this wine was made by Reagan Kapatch, who is a fantastic winemaker. Unfortunately, no longer in the industry. Um, but... If you get a chance, they're a by appointment only winery open on weekends for tasting. I think I spent $30 on this. Their wines are tragically underpriced. Uh, and I think all of us have just said, I think the, the wine that binds the three of us, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, is that this wine does not taste as old as it says on the label. No, definitely not. It tastes fresh, tastes young. I actually was wondering whether you would bring 16 Mile because I know you're a fanboy of their work, Andre. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Well, but I mean, that's the thing, though, is when I did that tasting with my friend Christine last year... I had, I'm not going to say the wineries that didn't show well. The winery that showed the best were some old wines from uh, 16 Mile. And I, I, it's one of the things, too, where I don't understand like why what it is about this winery that the wines stand up so well. But all I know is they're going to keep existing in my cellar because of that. You know, the other... Um, I'm, I'm going to share this as a tidbit to anyone who goes wine tasting is we're tasting older to newer right now. 
And I generally taste new to old. And I've seen at a lot of wineries, they like tasting new to old. Um, but that being said, I've met some winemakers and producers who actually prefer tasting older to new in the sense <laughs> that they say like, if you taste new to old, because the younger wines generally are a little more acidic and brighter by the time you get to an older wine, when the flavors are a little more subtle, your palate's blasted. Because acid reads very strong on my palate, the opposite. Um, if I taste old to new, the acidity in the new wine will be so searing, it will almost kind of negatively impact my experience of the wine. So what I'm just saying to folks who go wine tasting, you're interested in wine, there's there's no real right or there wrong. There is no wrong. There's right, no right, real right. right or wrong. We're tasting older to new today. You can also taste new to old. All right. So, Danny, thanks so much for coming into the studio this of week. Um, always drink responsibly, even though we've tasted three wines. They've been very small pours, so make sure you drink and drive safely. And, uh, you know, stick around next week, 5 o'clock. Set your clocks, tasting together, where we may actually taste together. Again, soon, in the future. On 640 Toronto.